Welcome to the Building Excellence Podcast. I'm your host, Bailey Miles. The Building Excellence Podcast is all about sharing inspiring stories from some of the most successful athletes, coaches, business minds, and thought leaders to help you build excellence in your life, leadership, and legacy. We hope this show provides you with tremendous value. If you find the show impactful, please share with a friend and on social media, as well as subscribe and leave us a review on iTunes. We would greatly appreciate it. Thanks. Now let's get to the show and start building excellence in your life, leadership, and legacy. Today we have Dave Kraft, who is a best-selling author, writer, speaker, life, and leadership coach. And if you listen to today's episode, you will see why Dave has spent his entire life learning and studying leadership. Through his leadership coaching, he has helped leaders all over the world become better leaders. And he is focused on sharing everything he has learned for the betterment of others. I would highly encourage you all to check out his website at davecraft.org where he shares his blog, books, speaking, and coaching content. His books, Leaders Who Last and Mistakes Leaders Make, can also be found on Amazon. And in today's show, not only do we touch on leadership, but we also talk about why it's important to make difficult decisions as a leader, how to develop better habits and rhythms in your life, and also what it means to build and create family values. Now let's get to the show. Hey everyone, welcome to the Building Excellence Podcast. I'm excited today to have special guest Dave Kraft with me. Dave, thanks for being here. I'm glad to be here, Bailey, and I'm bored to it, so glad it's finally here. Yeah, well, if you wouldn't mind, give our listeners some some background uh, on you and where you grew up and what that was like. I uh, was born and raised in Southern California, born in the Los Angeles area. Maybe six or seven, we moved out to Palm Springs and went out for a vacation, and uh, my parents decided to stay there. So that left mom and us three boys there, and he went back in and sold the business he had came out and so a lot of my growing up years were in the Palm Springs area which is about maybe an hour and a half from Los Angeles. Yeah so when you were growing up were there any any particular experiences that you feel like shaped you as you look back? Well Palm Springs was a very small town uh, at that time there were maybe 1,000 people but being that group they grew up in a very small uh, town. Uh, My dad ran his own business I, one of the things I think that impacted me pretty significantly was a teacher I had in the fourth grade liked me so much, she decided to keep me for another year. <laughs> and so I was, I, uh, I spent two years in the fourth grade. And I think over the years that consciously or unconsciously has impacted me uh, in probably negative ways, thinking, Maybe I'm, maybe I can't do this. Maybe I'm not smart enough. Maybe I'm not up to speed with the rest of the kids, wherever I happen to be. So that's one thing. And then of course, my parents in a, in a variety of ways, uh, as any kid's parents impacted me. Yeah. And you said your dad sold the family business uh, when you moved out to Palm Springs. What was that? He was a locksmith. So we actually had a business in downtown Los Angeles. It was almost like a little kiosk on a corner. And he sold that, moved into a, a larger place. And then he sold that business and moved out to Palm Springs and then opened up the Desert Lock and Key, which he ran for a lot of years. Yeah, that's interesting. Now, when you were growing up, did you have some siblings? I do. I have two younger brothers. Uh, the brother right beneath me is four years younger than I am. Then I have another brother that came along three years after that. So uh, 
we're all up there in age now, but we stay in touch. <laughs> yeah. Now, did you guys do a lot of things growing up? You know, being four years in age difference from your, your younger brother and having that little age difference. Uh, did you guys do a lot of things together? You know, I don't think we did a lot of things together. The family that I grew up in, both mom and dad were rather independent. They kind of dad worked most of the time. Mom was a homemaker. And uh, there weren't a lot of things we did together as a family. Dad would come home in the evening and eat dinner, watch a little television, go to bed. He was up very early morning, back at work. And so I think all three of us boys are rather independent. So there's not a lot of closeness between us. Uh, there never really has been. Even when we were young, we kind of each had our separate bedrooms and we sort of kept to ourselves. And that independent spirit has been both good, but it's also been bad for me because relationships don't come easily. There was not a lot of affection and closeness in the family. Mm. And uh, I've learned over the years dealing with that. It's not been easy, but by God's grace, I've managed and I've become more of a relational person but it's not natural because the family I grew up in was not that way. Mm, gotcha. So it's been something you've worked on over the course of time to get Yes, ab absolutely. Yeah. Which I know we'll get into that topic, especially as we dive into leadership here in a little bit. But uh, so you grew up, you did the fourth grade twice. So your teacher loved mm -hmm. you so much, you did it twice. And as you got into high school, were you doing any type of extracurricular activities? Um, or what were you, what were you thinking beyond high school at the time? I wasn't really thinking a lot beyond high school. Um, as I mentioned, I was rather independent, so I kept to myself. I was somewhat, which I'm not at all now, somewhat introverted, shy. So I didn't have a big, you know, circle of friends. I, I had one or two. And growing up, I just remember spent a lot of time in my room. Being, there were no video games. There was no internet, nothing like that. Listen to the radio. I was a big music buff. So I had a huge stash of uh, 45 uh, records, 45 are the little bitty ones that you don't, okay. I don't even think you can even find them today. Okay. So I spent a lot of time listening to music. I uh, got a car when I was a freshman in high school, 42 Chevrolet Coupe, and uh, drove around in that listening to music. But there weren't a lot. Of, I wasn't into sports. I wasn't into clubs of any kind, not in high school, at least. Mm -hmm. Well, it's interesting because, you know, you've, you're a writer, you speak, you coach and consult on leadership. Where did the leadership interest kind of come into your life? That's an interesting, I mean, all of your questions are very interesting and thought provoking. I don't know that I could set a date when I woke up one morning and said, hey, I just figured it out. I'm a leader. I think it gradually happened over time when people begin to move me in uh, to a leadership position, they saw something, which is often the case in my experience that someone sees something in you before you see it yourself. So then when people started saying, Dave, I believe in you. I think you have this. I think you have that. I said, ah, you know, I don't know about that. And they would just keep pushing me into leadership roles. And then I would get in there and, uh, things would happen and I had people following me and listening and I'd be in the think, Hey, maybe I, maybe I can make this work, but it took, it was a while. It took a while. Yeah. Would you say that there was a level of maybe discomfort being in those positions early on? Maybe not. Or did you, once people told you they, they saw something in you, you had a little more confidence to like, okay, well they see something. 
I can go do it, do this and do it effectively yeah. and be a better leader? I would say it took time because of the family I grew up in. There wasn't a lot of affirmation and encouragement. We were just sort of left to our own. So it took me a while to overcome the thought that in the fourth grade thing, you know, obviously it left an impression on me that I'm probably not going to really accomplish anything of any significance. And so I sort of have that in the back of my mind. So when people would come along and say, I see you doing this, or I can see you doing that. How about we give you this responsibility? How about we give you that responsibility? I would step into it because other people believed in me, but there was still that doubt in the back of my mind. Sure. Yeah, no, that's interesting. And and one of the things that I wanted to, you know, touch on as you talk about your story a little bit is that, you know, early on, you didn't necessarily know exactly what you're wanting to do when you're in high school and college. I think a lot right. of people can relate to that. But over time, like you said, just on the leadership, it was developed throughout time. It took time mm-hmm. and, and there was some evolution to that. What advice right. would you give someone that maybe is in a similar situation. They don't have to just be young. They can be older and they don't really even know what they want to be doing. Well, I, that question comes up quite often, as you can imagine. <laughs> um, I coach guys that sometimes they're 40 and 50 and still not hundred percent sure. They sort of wandered into some occupation or livelihood, but they, they're not hundred percent sure that's what they should be doing. And every once in a while, I'll be working with someone who thinks they want to change and go in a different direction, but they're not. In fact, I had a call just a few days ago with a guy who's doing very well financially. He's got a nice home, beautiful family, but he's got this feeling inside of him that he's supposed to be doing something else, but, but he doesn't know what that something else is. So how do I, it's, it's like that the movie uh, City Slickers. You've got to find out what that one thing is. Well, how do I find out? Well, that's what you have to find out. Yeah. He points that finger and you've got to find out what that one thing is. So it's a journey. I think it starts with a purpose statement. So one of the things I work with uh, the guys that I coach, I coach the ladies every once in a while, but mostly guys, is go on a retreat and just start thinking about your purpose. If, if God were to come to you in a dream, like Solomon in the Old Testament, and say, so what do you want? What, what do you, what would you like? What would you like me to do for you? What would you say? Just get the money, forget whether you would be successful or not. Let's suppose you were guaranteed that you would be successful and, and he would take care of the financial implications of whatever you, you chose to do. What would you want to do? To, to me and to, to other people, that's a liberating question because they'll say, well, you know, I could do this, but that's not going to pay me enough. Well, we'll put, put the money off to the side just talk about what you think you would love to do. What's what's going on down inside of you? So I would say uh, craft a purpose statement. Talk to people who know you well and ask them what they see in you. Because as I said earlier, I think sometimes other people see something before you see it. And if it's somebody who loves you and respects you and is on your side, that can be very encouraging. Wow, you see that? Oh, I never would have, you, you, you really believe that? Yeah, I really believe that. That just, that, it's like a coach in school. You maybe didn't think you had any athletic ability, but some coach came along and saw something and you all of a sudden think, hey, maybe he's right. Maybe I could do this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that, that's great. Just having that, uh, that, that belief in your abilities and things that people might see in you. And it's funny that you talked about that having other people tell you what they see in you. It's something mm-hmm. we've talked on the podcast just the other day with someone that was on about having 
the ability to have people around you that tell you that, but also to be an encouragement to others. So when you see something in someone else, be able to bring that out because it, our words are so impactful and sometimes we don't realize mm -hmm. how impactful they are. But because we have a different perspective than maybe the individual that is living in their life, we're watching outside and seeing the things that they're doing, seeing the gifts that mm -hmm. they have, the abilities right. that they may not realize are so unique or special, but we can have that. And so having the ability to say what's on our mind when we see it and just say it, because it gives a lot yeah. of encouragement to people. It so, works both ways. I see it in somebody else and somebody else sees it in me. You're absolutely right, Bailey. Absolutely yeah. right. Well, it's interesting too, because you know, I love I love what you talked about having a purpose statement and asking asking those those questions about if you could do be doing anything or you're asking God what you know what would you want to be doing? What is that? And why do you think it is that we put limitations on on ourselves and on our, our thoughts and our dreams and desires sometimes? Well, that's a that's a good question. I think we live in a negative world to a great degree. Uh, people are always throwing negative. Oh, that'll never work. Or we tried that before, and that, and that didn't work. And so and so tried that. Or who do you think you are? And so we have all of these voices in our head. Um, and I think another thing is we can be our own worst enemy because we self-talk our way out of trying something. Well, what if I fail? What are people going to think if I do this and it? blows up in my face and I don't want to fail so I won't try it. And one of the statements I ran across years ago is when you talk to yourself, watch your language. Mm. Because we're our own worst enemy. We talk ourselves out of stepping out and trying something, flapping our wings, just going out on the edge because we're so fearful. I mean, fear, I think really is underneath a lot of it. Fear of failure, fear of what other people are gonna think, fear of making myself look stupid, uh, egg on my face and on and on and on so fear negative self-talk or we have people around us that put us down sometimes unfortunately it can be our own parents that'll talk us out of doing something i mean been a lot of books and a lot of movies about a kid that was successful later in life but they show what his parents said about him early on uh, especially musicians that wanted to go out and do something totally different than the family were farmers or yeah. and the kid wanted to play a guitar like a johnny cash and then his dad kept, you know, raining on his parade and said, you can never make a living doing that. What, who do you think you are? And I've just seen this scenario over and over and over that somebody talks us out of our dream or we mm. talk ourselves out of it. Yeah, no, and that's such a good point. And it brings me to an idea that I just thought of is, is courage, the word courage. What is courage to good. you and how important is courage and how do you develop courage in your opinion? I think you, you develop it by just trial and error make mistakes. What did I learn from that? Okay, if I did this again, I'm gonna do it differently. But there's gotta be that first time when you step out, I'm, I'm just gonna go for this, I'm just gonna do this. And as I got older, when, when I was, uh, yeah, years down the road, I was, I was less afraid to just try what some people would consider really stupid things. What, you did that? I can't believe you actually did that. Well, why not? Well, you could fail. Well, when I could succeed too. So how will I know if I never try it? I remember when I visited India a number of years ago and I sent a picture back to my kids and sitting on a Indian elephant. And one of my kids said, dad, what do you, you actually got on that, you know how high that elephant is? You could have fallen off of that elephant. And I said, you know, the way I got up there, I climbed up on the rooftop of a house. They moved the elephant over to the side of the house and I jumped off the roof onto the, 
they were like getting ready to have a heart attack. <laughs> then how could you do that? I said, well, how many times am I going to go to India and ride an elephant? I mean, it's chance of a lifetime. Uh-huh. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> well, it's interesting, you know, not to discredit your kids, but it's typically like you mentioned before, it's the people around us that are obviously wanting the best for us and wanting to protect us that typically are trying to not limit us, but they're doing it in a good spirit. But typically, sometimes that can hold us back from doing what we exactly. want to do. And I loved, yeah. I love what you just said. Why not? The question, why not? Why not try that? Yeah. Why not do that? Because yeah. you don't know the other side of it. It just might work. Yeah. Yeah, it just <laughs> might work. Exactly. So, you know, we talked about courage and, and having the ability to put yourself in situations and put yourself out there. And then why not try it, see what happens. Um, you know, you talked about a purpose statement. What are some things when you identify a purpose statement and you kind of have some traction there and then to work backwards and apply that in your life? How does that, what does that look like when you're working with, with people? Yeah, that's exactly the way it works is you start with the end and work back. It's like, I forget who it was, an author that I read about that he, he would write the last chapter of the book first. So he knew how the book ended. Yeah. And then he would go back and write chapter one, two, three, so forth. But you, you live life that way. So if you, if you say, okay, where would I like to be? In, I mean, businesses do this all the time, right? The five-year plan, the 10-year plan. But I think you can work on a personal level. Where would I like to be in five years? You get, write it down as specifically as you can. Or where do I want to be at the end of my life? When I get to the end of my life and I look back, what will I have to see this to say that my life's a success? I mean, or as early as you can do it. I mean, there are kids you've heard about that, like this figure skater, is Chen his name that won the gold medal? He, at 10 years old, he was talking about that he was going to go to the Olympics and win a gold medal. Mm. Actually, I saw an interview on television with him talking with him when he was 10. And then 10 years later, he won the gold medal. Now, you, you don't see that every day, but I think that's the essence of what it is. Look down the road and dream big take risks, try things, and decide where would you like to be? And then you re- what's called reverse engineer. Then you start, okay, this week, this month, next week, next month, next year, what are the things that I want to do? So 10 years from now or 50 years from now, this is where I'll be. And I ran into that concept somewhere along the line. And then I basically started living my life that way. Where do I want to be at the end of this year? Where do I want to be in the next three months? And then what am I going to do today and tomorrow and this week and next week? And then everything needs to be connected. So everything I'm doing now, this week, next week, next month is all moving toward that express, call it a vision statement, a purpose statement, something you want to see happen. And I think anyone's successful, whether they do it deliberately or unconsciously, that's what they're actually doing. I mean, an athlete would be a classic case. If you say, for example, okay, I'm 15 years old. The next, the next Olympics that comes up, Here's where I'd like to be. And the one after that, that's the one I actually want to get in. And I want to medal in my particular sport. Well, they just don't kind of, okay, I'll do this. No, they're thinking all the time. What am I doing now? What am I doing? You know, so forth, so on. So when I get there, and I think with anyone who's achieved any kind of success, I think that principles at work. Mm-hmm. I would agree with you. Now, as, as you talk about those things, what does that look like and how has it evolved in your life? Are there certain categories like, you know, your, your faith, your family, your work life? How does that, are there different categories that you use to help people identify some of those, those target goals? Yeah, I have, I have different categories and I'm, I'm very 
I'm, I operate out of habits. Um, I build habits that are going to set up routines that I do on a regular basis to get me where I want to go, whether it's my health, my family, my personal life. I mean, everything I'm doing, sleeping, eating, exercising, there's usually a rhythm, a habit, something that I set up. And I follow that to get myself to a certain place. So goal setting, habits, routines, rhythms are a huge part of just the way I live my life. Yeah. In your opinion, how do you develop good habits and routines? And I love, I like the word rhythm, rhythms in your life. How, how do you go about doing that? I think you, I think specificity is the key. Uh, you got to, I have to say specifically what I'm going to do or what I'm not going to do. I mean, losing weight would be a, an obvious example that most people can identify with. So if you yeah. say, okay, give myself three months in three months, I'd like to weigh X pounds. Okay. Now let's start right where I am today. What am I going to do this week, next week, the week after that on a daily basis? I'm going to eat so many calories, exercise, sleep, certain things I'm going to stay away from. And then you keep tracking your progress. So what did I weigh last week? What do I weigh this week? Can I see myself incrementally moving toward that goal? And then when you get there, you might, just, you might set another goal. So I think it's habits, rhythms, routines that are set up intentionally, proactively, deliberately, so that I'm moving toward that goal that I set. Uh, finances will be an, another thing. If you set a goal that you wanna be a certain place financially, then the question is, okay, what am I gonna do this month toward that goal? What am I gonna do the month after that? So your inc increment, I don't think it just happens by accident. Oh, I woke up one morning, all of a sudden I weighed X number of pounds. Oh, I went to bed last night and I woke up today and my bank account had, no, I, don't, I just don't think it works because you are, or I am, you are intentionally day by day, week by week, doing things that are moving you toward that set goal or that, that picture that you painted of what you wanted to see happen. Yes, absolutely. And I like the word intentional. I mean, being intentional in your life and your walk uh, with whatever thing you're going after or whatever you're doing in your life, having intention and sitting down and um, developing a plan of what exactly. you want your life to look like and work from begin with the end in mind, like you talked about, mm -hmm. and then have a plan and a system that you can operate off of to develop a habit, a routine, a rhythm. Um, so that every day you're doing something, but, uh, I don't know how you feel, but it's interesting to hear a lot of people talk on habits and routines and uh, having discipline. But if you can make things simple, it seems like simplicity is pretty important to being able to effectively fall into a, yep. a pattern of, of having a good rhythm and routine. Have you seen that be the case for a lot of uh, you new clients? Absolutely. Um, the, I've read so much on this over the years, books on habits, books on goal setting and, and getting from point A to point B. And the simplest one I think I've heard is decide exactly what it is you want. Ask yourself what it's going to take to get it and then do it. So, okay, here's what I want. Okay, right. This is going to mean this, 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 and this. Then I just start doing what I just wrote down. And I'm thinking discipline, no matter how you cut it. When I'm coaching guys, they have all kinds of ideas, dreams. Some of them are have arrived financially, but they have other things they want to achieve. And, and I say, you can come up with all the ideas and plans and these glorious pictures you have of what you want to do, but it's all going to come down to daily discipline. I don't care what it is, whether it's athletics or music. Uh, the person who's a great musician, 
They practice every single day. They go over and over and over. They have habits. They they schedule their whole day around that practice to make sure that that's, and it, it's, you can't get away. Actually, the verse in the book of Proverbs is, says, um, the road to life is a disciplined life. Ignore correction and you're lost for good. Mm. So I think correction comes in two ways. I self-correct myself or other people step in and say, Dave, I think you should do this. Or why are you doing that? That would be the uh, accountability piece. So discipline is huge. I, I can't think of anyone I've ever read about or anyone I've ever known who has been remotely successful in anything who was an undisciplined person. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's great. And I, I feel like I would agree with that statement too. One thing as you're talking, it just reminds me um, of when I think of discipline, it's often being in athletics prior to, mm-hmm. I got to sit down one time and it was a guy uh, named John Shire, who's now going to be the Duke head coach here after Coach Cat retires next year. And I, I've always been a Duke fan growing up. So sitting next to him at this event was really, really fun for me. I know he probably doesn't remember it at all, but <laughs> Uh, but he, I was asking him what makes, you know, Duke Duke and what makes coach K so successful. And we were just talking about a few things that they do in practice. And I've always, you know, being wanting to be in coaching, you're always looking for those things that make people unique and different. But as I went around the country and got to meet a lot of people and be around, uh, different practices and watch, and I was only there for a little, little snippet of time, but not, not mm-hmm. throughout the whole season. Uh, but All you right. get to see that it is honestly, it's the consistent mundane every single day discipline monotony that no one likes to do because it's the same thing over and over again but it's like you talk about going to the gym losing weight or building muscle like it's that consistent that's it daily monotony over and over again and so a question that i have for you is why do you feel like or why why does it seem like we all love to be kind of all over the place we like newness we like new things we like variety um and we don't like you know in a sense, discipline or monotony, but to see the results we want, it's oftentimes that discipline and monotony. Right, right. I got asked that question. Uh, no, I'm, I've probably been asked it more than once. Okay. Because <laughs> uh, at one at one point, I did a lot more running than I do now. I mean, was out three or four days a week running seven, eight miles of the track. And I had the gear. I was reading the magazines. I mean, I was into it big time. And I, once somebody asked me, um, so man, you must really like to run. And I said, no, I don't, I really don't like to run at all. Well, what's the obvious next question? Why do you run? I said, I like the results of running, not the process of running. Because running produces an end result that I want. And I think for me, the key is not to look at the actual mundane, as you say, daily routines, but keep my eye on, if I do these routines on a consistent basis, it's going to get me where I want to go. And that's what's going to keep me motivated. It's that end result. If I were just doing discipline for the sake of doing discipline, just so I could say I'm disciplined, but it wasn't going anywhere or there wasn't an end in mind, I, I don't think I'd be able to keep it up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And sometimes it's a punishment. If I don't do that, this is going to happen. And many times it's, it's a reward. If somebody told me, hey, if you do this consistently for X weeks, I'll give you a check for $10,000. Man, I wouldn't have any problem doing it at all. Yeah. Why? <laughs> Well, because the end result is something I really would like to have. But if I'm fuzzy on the end result, I'm not sure what it is, then it's a lot harder for me to keep it up. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. No, that's that's a fantastic point. Um, you know, when we're talking about discipline, how important is time management? Oh, that's the name of the game. 
Yeah. Uh, and um, time management, energy stewardship, figuring out what's important. What's I mean, there's there's a zillion books. One of my favorite, most favorite books on that, and I don't want to get into giving you a lot of books and authors. No, we, we want but, we want all all you got. So aside I, from your own books, well, it's, it's a yeah. it's a yeah, it's it's called Essentialism by Greg McCowan, mm-hmm. and uh, it's all about just determining what's the and he's got this little acronym W I N. What's important now? And I've uh, added, who's important now? So I'm sitting at my desk or I'm sitting in my office or I'm thinking, okay, I have a few hours. There's a lot of people I could call, but if I could only call one person, who would I call? So yeah. I keep thinking, what's the most important thing or who's the most important person right now? And then do that. But sometimes you just, if you're like running around in a room with a fly swatter trying to kill as many flies as you can. And I've said, and I've used that illustrations, but all flies are not equal. You have to sit down and ask yourself, if I could just get one thing done in the next hour of all the things, what do I think is the most important? I need to stop and pray and reflect and then say, I think it would be this. Okay, then do that. Then when you get that done, okay, what is the next most important thing? There have been whole books written on that, on that topic. Yeah. Of just what's the most important thing and what you should do now. Otherwise, you just penny and nickel, you're dying, your time away. Mm-hmm. I love the I love the fly swatter analogy. That's great. <laughs> What's the biggest fly? Um, you know, as you as you're talking about that, what are some things as well in terms of um, you know time management, but also just from a perspective of people that have jobs that feel like they don't have the ability to manage their time effectively. Maybe they have different things that come in that pop up sporadically, where they don't feel right. like that. What, what advice do you give to those people and how do you go about trying to manage your time in an environment like that? Yeah, it's a real challenge because if you sit in an open area, if you don't have a private office where you can just close the door or have a secretary outside to keep anyone from interrupting you, some people have that, a lot of people don't. They might be in a big room with a lot of people and they're just sitting at a desk. It's difficult. And that has come up numerous times in my coaching. Well, what do you, what do? You do? Well, ask if you have permission when you really need to work on something and focus and concentrate, if you could have someone's permission, if you need to ask it, to get out of the office. Go, don't go to a coffee shop where people can spot you or it's going to be noisy and distracting. If, if you can go home for a couple hours, if you live close enough, you can go to the library or go, to a, go somewhere where you can uh, work undistracted and uninterrupted. And just ask. I mean, all they can say is no, and then you stay where you are. If you can, if you can move somewhere else in the building, if you can go downstairs, someplace where it's a little more quiet, you, you've got to have blocks of time to be able to focus and concentrate. And every everything I've read about the studies, every time you get interrupted, you don't just kind of stop where you are. You actually go back, and it takes a few minutes to get back to where you were when you were interrupted. And I've read and I've heard people say, "I get interrupted all day long. The phone rings. I get an email. Somebody knocks on the door. I can't get in." anything done and then I get in trouble because I'm not getting things done but I think there are ways to to work around that you can have a conversation with your boss sometimes the boss is the one that's always interrupting you every time he gets a thought or an idea he's knocking on your door walking into your office and hey I was thinking about this what do you think about that and and of course you're working on something that he asked for and now you're behind and he's going to be upset with you because but he's the one that got you behind because he walked (laughs) into your office and bent your ear for 30 minutes (laughs) So I, I think people have to figure it out. Uh, I just don't see how you can be productive 
if your day is splintered up with interruptions all day long. And sometimes you interrupt yourself mm -hmm. by answering an email. I mean, they've got us trained like Pavlov's dog. Every time that thing blinks and you see a little number there, you, oh, I got to see what that is. No, you don't have to see what it is. Look at it. Just keep doing what you're doing. Look at it later. But it's something inside of us. We need to go there and or the phone rang and everybody's. Uh, I, it's funny. If you're in a meeting and everyone's got their cell phone and all of a sudden you hear it's almost immediately everyone reaches for the phone to see if it's their phone. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's distract, distraction, distraction, distraction. Yes, absolutely. What do you think? What do I think? I think, yeah. I think, I think you're spot on. I think um, some things that I've, you know, heard of before, you know, time blocking, batching, like, Mm -hmm. putting specific things in a certain amount of time. Like maybe this hour, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do it uninterrupted. Yeah. Uh, looking yeah. at your email. I know that's a big thing for myself included, but many people are always looking at their email. Always. It's like, we have to look yeah. at it. I look at our phones, but if you can look at your email at maybe nine in the morning is your morning time. You look at your email mm -hmm. at nine, you look at it at one o'clock and you look at it maybe at four. Exactly. exactly. Um, Good. Just trying yeah. to figure out. Yeah. Trying to figure out what those things are. Each, each person is, has their own unique situations and challenges on terms of time management, but whatever that is for you, just trying to identify what the pattern that keeps you from getting the results you want. And then just identifying those things and putting a system in place, like you talked about to not have to worry about those things. Harry Newhoff, uh, uh, pastor up in Toronto, Canada, wrote a book called at your best. And I summarized the entire book in, in my mind in three statements. Um, do what you're best at when you're at your best in the best location. I think it's, that's, I mean, it's just so simple. What am I really the best at? And that's what I should be focused on. Well, Marcus Buckingham's got a statement. Um, I'm trying to think how it goes now. I think it just slipped my mind. Uh, the, mo the, mo the best of your work should be the most of your work. So what you're really the best at, you should spend most of your time on as much as you can. But with, with Carrie's statement, um, do what you're best at when you're at your best and talks about what you just mentioned, Bailey, the hours of the day. When, is your, when are your best hours? Some people, it's really early in the morning. Some people are night people and they get their best productivity between nine and midnight. So whenever that is, do what you're best at during the time when you're at your best in the best location mean someplace where you're it's the surrounding what you're surrounded by is conducive to you working you don't want kids running around you don't want things outside the window that are distracting you so those three things i think are huge uh figuring out what you're best at doing it uh at the best time and in the best location mm, yeah and, and just i just thought about this because i'm sitting here right now i've got my phone my phone over here but maybe just having your phone in another room too just to have have you undistracted from that, so I know that's what I should have done before I got on here. I should have had my phone, and my my uh, Apple no. Watch somewhere else. So. <laughs> yeah, no, not at all. But I was just thinking about that because it's just so yeah so addictive. Well, you touched on you know talking about your boss. I just wanted to dive into leadership a little bit with you as well because it's really important um, to be a good leader and also be around good leaders. But what is leadership to you? And what are some good qualities and traits of really good leaders? I collect leadership definitions. I've done it for a lot of years. Some people collect coins and stamps and 
I collect definitions. And my favorite definition is once again by Marcus Buckingham. A leader is a person who has the ability to rally people to a better future. I think that's it in a nutshell. Uh, it could be a one person, it could be thousands of people. That future could look very different. It could be a very small thing. It could be, you know, earth-shaking, big picture thing. But what that person has is the ability to rally people to go from where they are to someplace else. In fact, I, I run an app and I've scheduled out here and there. So we're here like you are at the mall, you walk in, the little chaos is you are here. Well, where do you want to go? Well, that store you want to go to is up on the third floor all the way down on the other end. Okay, now I know where I am. I know where I want to go. Then I just need to start taking steps. But if I don't know where I am and I don't know where I want to go, it, 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 be, it becomes a headache. So the leader then uh, knows where the group, he, he himself or herself, they have a sense of where they want to go, that better future that's better for everyone. And now they're in the process of rallying, motivating, inspiring people to go from here to there. And then I said that there are two things that need to happen. Number one is they need to be dissatisfied with here or they're not going anywhere. And they need to be excited about there. So that's my role as a leader to tell them why it would not be a good idea for any of us to stay right here. We need to go somewhere else. Let me share that somewhere else with you and see if you're as excited as I am about it. I'm thinking of this or I envision this or that, whatever it is. And then over time, what I'm trying to do is, as I say, rally, motivate, inspire, persuade people to leave where they are and go somewhere else. And that's the essence of leadership because in a lot of cases, people don't want to go somewhere else. They're comfortable. They like their routines. They like the certainty of everything. And if I leave here and go somewhere else, it's uncertain. And that's the role of a leader is to do whatever that leader can do to motivate and inspire people to leave what they're familiar and comfortable with and go somewhere else. And along the way, um, they might complain, they might grumble. And Moses would be a classic example. He persuaded them to leave Egypt and go to the promised land. Yeah. But all the way there, they were complaining about, no, we didn't have anything to eat. We don't have anything to drink. You brought us out here to die. And he kept, had a, kept pointing them to where we're going and why it's a good idea to keep moving toward that. So uh, characteristics of leader, I think I like um, uh, Brad Lomanick's three H's. I'm, sh I'm sure you read about it or heard about it. He calls it humble, hungry, and hustle. So humility, it's not all about me as a leader. It's not about the leader. It's about the people taking care of them, investing in them, leading them to this better future. And then hungry, hungry, eager, teachable, want to grow, want to learn. I'm not satisfied. I'm not plateaued. And then hustle, just get up and go, a fire in the belly, fizz in the coke, that type of thing. So when I meet somebody that I sense is, is truly a humble person who realizes life is not all about you, life doesn't center around you, and they're really hungry and eager, and they're, they're wired up so they got a lot of hustle and energy, man, that's the person I'm looking for. Yeah, yeah. well, that brings out a great point too, because you talked earlier about you developing some skill sets in terms of being an extrovert. Talk about leadership mm -hmm. because someone could be listening and like, well, I'm not charismatic. I may not have these different qualities. How do you develop becoming a better leader? And I know it's something, it's something that happens mm -hmm. over time, but how is that developed in your opinion? Well, I think we make the mistake if we think that every leader is this crazy extroverted wild Indian kind of a person. 
Um, as you look, if you even sports teams, as you look at, I mean, if you at basketball, I think basketball was your sport, was it not? So if you look at a guy like a John Wooden and Bobby Knight, different as night and day. I mean, his personality and the way they tried to motivate people. Uh, Tom Landry was a very different football coach than uh, jo Jimmy Johnson was. So I don't think you can say, well, you have to be this extroverted uh, type of individual to be, I think leaders come in all sizes and shape. Uh, the quiet ones who don't say a lot, but, but there's deep water inside of them. It run, it's, it's still, it runs deep, it's meaningful. The question is, can you motivate and rally people regardless of what kind of personality you have? So I've read enough to realize that you don't have to be a certain personality type to be a good leader. Um, I think the key is to love people. If you really love people and they know you love them and you have the best in mind for them and you'll do anything you can to help them be successful, I think you can forget the personality. Yeah. They I will love... follow you. They'll follow you to the end of the cliff. Yeah. <laughs> I love that because the word that was coming to my mind right before you said all that was just care. Um, yeah. And so how do you show people that you're leading, that you care about them? What are some ways? I mean, what does that look like? Well, you listen to them, you ask them questions, you, you ask how they're doing, you remember things. Uh, when, I'm, when I'm on a call with any of my clients, I have a yellow blue pad in front of me and I'm writing everything down. Somebody's sick, they have a daughter who's struggling, um, they're, they're hurting financially. Well, I'm putting it all down and I transfer it over to another place uh, on my computer where I type it up. And, and a lot of times I'm praying about those things. I just have this ability to remember a lot of detail about someone. So when I'm praying about an individual, uh, all those details just start coming back. It's all, I wouldn't say I, got, I have a photographic memory, but I have an ability to remember details about people. And so, and I remember, okay, this guy's got a son who hates school and they're dealing with that. Uh, his, he and his wife are writing a book and trying to figure all this out. So as I'm praying, these various things just pop into my head and I pray for them. And if I know something's going down or coming up and they tell me, hey, by uh, uh, next Friday, I've got a really important appointment. I said, uh, what time next Friday is it? Central time or wherever time zone you're in? I write it down. And when it pops up in my calendar, uh, I pray about it. And then I check with them. So how did that go? I, if, I'm, if I'm not mistaken, today was the day you were having such and such a meeting. And, and uh, I think that means a lot to them that I remember that I'm following up, that I'm carrying. I'm not just doing it. So they stay on as a client. I'm doing it because I really do care about them. I want them to be successful. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and so there's a few things. Yeah. What you talked about earlier, just being intentional, you intentionally, you're, you're listening to them. You're writing down their story. You're seeing and, ident seeing and identifying things that, um, you know, either there's a challenge there or there's an mm -hmm. encouragement that you're doing and then you're putting it in your calendar. So it pops up. And so it might take a few minutes to do that, but it means so much more than just oh. the few minutes that you take to do it, right? Right. Another way I think, I, for me personally, I'm not saying that everyone shows care exactly the same way, but as I'm on the phone with them and they bring up a topic, something they're dealing with, like, I think I need to let this guy go. I really don't like to let people go on my team, but it's just not working out. So we'll, we'll hang up and, uh, and I'll be thinking and I'll think of a resource. So then I'll text them back. Hey, I was as I was praying for you and thinking about what you shared with me. Here's a link to a to a, a post I think you might uh, profit from regarding what we talked about today. Or here's an article. 
or here's a book note. There's book notes on my website. Uh, I think this might uh, shed some light on what we talked about today. That's telling them, hey, the call's over. Dave didn't have to do anything. He has no obligation until next time we talk, but he's thinking about me. He was, he was thinking about me after a hang up and he thought about something and he sent it to me. I mean, there's no substance. That just shows I really do care about you. I'm listening, I'm paying attention. I'm doing whatever I can do to come alongside and be of help and encouragement to you. Yeah, so this is something that's been spoken plenty of times. I know Coach Wooden had it in a lot of his books, but people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And that's exactly. a, what you just talked about is a great example of displaying that in, in real life. Um, mm -hmm. and it, it makes a difference. So you've written some books. You know, One was called um, Leaders Who Last. And I was going to ask you, mm -hmm. what, what makes a leader who lasts? I mean, you talked a few things of what you talked about already, but what are some, some key characteristics or traits that make leaders that last? Well, it's, it's taking care of the key relationships in your life to start with. Uh, if, if you're a Christian, I'm a Christian. Um, I, I love Jesus. I follow him. And that would be the key relationship to make sure that I'm taking care of that relationship. If I'm married, my wife, my children. Um, so putting that first, uh, the first thing I do uh, in my coaching with someone is uh, they, they develop what I call a life plan. And in the beginning of that life plan is taking care of the key relationships in your life so you're operating from strength and health. There, there are two parts to all of this. One is the relationships and the other is just getting things done. Um, and they, you have to have both of them. I mean, if, if you're talking to somebody who says, Oh, yeah, I, I, I really relate to people. I'm an extrovert. I just love to talk to people and so forth. But if you're not getting your job done, they're not going to keep you around. We're not paying <laughs> you for talking to people. We're paying you for getting the job done. But if you're getting the job done and you're not caring for people and people don't want to be around you, you, you won't get the job done because you have to work with and through other people. So I've used this little phrase of getting it done and getting along. So at a seminar, and I put on seminars around the country and the world, uh, I'll have a show of hands. Okay, how many of you would say you're pretty much, I'm the get it done person. When push comes to shove, you're, you're going to get it done and you're all about tasks and finishing them and, and getting everything done. How many of you, okay, how many of you would say relationships are the most important thing? If, if, if I have to stop my work in order to care for somebody or develop or build or deepen a relationship, I'm going to go with the relationship. And so, okay, no matter where you are, you need to move toward the middle. <laughs> if you're a relationship, you need to know how to get things done. And if you're the get it done person, then you need to know how to build relationships. You have to have, and everything I've read in all the years, and I read voraciously, will tell me that that's the two things, the relationship and the ability to get things done. Yeah, I love that. I love working, you know, if you're on one side or the other, it's working towards the middle and, and understanding each side a little better and developing those skills. Right, exactly. exactly. Are there any particular leaders that you look at and, and admire for the way they lead and how they do things? You know, it's interesting that you talk about people that are alive today that I, I look around and admire. A lot of the people that I deeply admire are what people have called dead people. <laughs> uh, they're not alive anymore. And I read about them. I love biographies. I love to read history. I love to read about leaders like Churchill or Lincoln, uh, presidents, that as I look back and read about them, uh, I admire them. So some of the some of the people that some of the people I just mentioned to you, uh, I greatly admire uh, 
which a lot of people do, Abraham Lincoln, Churchill. I mean, these guys are one in a million. Now, one of the guys that I admire that's a controversial figure is uh, George Patton, the general from World War II. Okay. I mean, I've read two or three books. I've watched the movie Patton probably six times. Okay. <laughs> and I mean, there's leadership on display. Granted, he had some rough edges, but he motivated people and he was able to go there and rally people and get people together with him. They would die for him. And um, he had some downsides. Another thing I like about him, he was not afraid to make the tough decisions, which I think is the key in leadership. I've talked mm. about this over and over through the years. Uh, a good leader is uh, will have the difficult conversations and make the difficult decisions. Uh, sometimes those conversations you'd rather not have, you'd rather avoid them. It's going to be it's going to be challenging. They might not like me. They might leave. They might go on social media and tell me tell people what an awful individual I am. But leadership is about having the difficult conversations and making the tough decisions. And so I look at a guy like Patton. Um, he was he was willing to do that. Now he wasn't perfect. I don't think any leader is. Uh, but I do deeply admire the way he was willing to do what needed to be done to get where he needed to go. Mm -hmm. Yeah, those are all good and examples. Churchill and Lincoln, yeah, Churchill and Lincoln were the same way. So there are people in the political world, the people that I greatly admire, John Wooden. Um, I mean, how many people are you going to meet in your lifetime that won, what do you win, 12 championships and 10 in a row? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that I don't know anyone's ever going to do that again. I don't know. It's, it's pretty easy, so... <laughs> <laughs> But the thing people don't realize is how many years leading up to that before he started doing it. It wasn't like the, his first year was just he won one and then second. And no, no, no. He was like, I don't know what, you might be know better than I, 15 or 20 years into it before he actually started compiling that record. Yes, absolutely. And that's also something that we as individuals, we always look at the accolades in the spotlight and we don't see how the process worked for people to get there. So Obviously, he developed the pro. He knew what he wanted. He wanted to win a championship, but also developing the kids on his team or the players on his team. Um, and it took it took time to make that happen. So, but um, I think that's a great point. Yeah. It takes time for yeah. for good things to happen. And the discipline. I mean, taught them how to put on their socks and put on their shoes and yeah. all the little things that would go to that most coaches would never pay any attention to. So he was a master of the little habits and the little routines. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, yeah, th those are great thoughts on leadership. You know, I know uh, I need to wind down here, but uh, a few things I want to ask you, are, what does it mean to be a good husband and father? Well, I think it's going to be some of the same ideas that we talked about for leadership, because if you're a husband or father and you perceive your role as to be the leader in the home, it's, it's the same things, discussion, relationships, care, concern, uh, willing to give up your idea, willing to ask people what they think rather than be this domineering, bully, authoritative. I am the, like the guy said, I am, I am the head in the family and the wife says, and I am the neck that turns the head. <laughs> <laughs> so you can be the head of the family, depending on what your, your uh, philosophy is about husband, wife, and family. But if you're going to be a good leader in your family, you have to listen, love, uh, be flexible, show patience, and, and probably the biggest of all, just own your own sin and stupidity. <laughs> Rather than saying, I can never be wrong, I'm the head of the family, I never, I never show any weakness. I think showing weakness is a sign of leadership. 
to say, hey, I'm afraid. I made a mistake last night. I'm terribly sorry. Will you forgive me? Some leaders never, ever say that, but the good ones always say it. They're quick to own their behavior and come out and apologize and say, I'm sorry. I really lost my temper last night. Will you forgive me? So it's, it's going to come back to relationship. It's all going to, also going to come back to vision. Where is the family going? Do we have any family goals? Is there anywhere we're headed as a family? Lencioni wrote a, wrote a great book, different than most other books he wrote. Patrick Lencioni, one of my favorite authors. Yeah, he'd be a guy that's still alive that I admire. His leadership, his teaching, his books. But he wrote a book on, I think it's called something about frantic families. And he talked about the family having a game plan, a goal. What do we want our family to look like? Uh, what are some attributes or characteristics of our family that we want to strive for? Most families just never think about that. Mm. They're just, just trying to survive from day to day, especially if you have teenagers. <laughs> yeah, but developing developing those attributes, developing those qualities. Um, exactly. You're living, you're ob- you obviously want to be good parents to your kids, but just identifying those values and living with intention in your family, which is something exactly. that's probably very, yeah. very unheard of for many families, especially in America. It is. And of course, a lot of the things that I talk about, a lot of things that I teach, I do have a website that I think you're familiar with, davecraft.org. People can go there, uh, snoop around, see what's there. Probably everything I've done over the last 30 or 40 years, a lot of it is just right there at that website. It's probably 2,000 pieces of content on that website. And so it's just free. You can have at it, look around, download stuff, use it any way you want. Yeah, absolutely. Well, as we wind down, um, we're going to do a fire round. So I'm going to say a sentence and you can finish in a word or sentence, whatever you feel. You can do anything if. You can do anything if God is leading you and empowering you to do it. That's from a faith position. I, I don't think that the philosophy, you can be anybody you want to be. No, no, no. If you're four foot, seven inches tall, you're not going to be an NBA basketball player. You can't be anything you want to be. But you can be anything that you're gifted to be able to do and that God's going to empower you to do it. Love that. We touched on a little bit, but caring means? Caring means showing it, not just talking about it. I really care for you. I really love you. Show me the money. What's that line from uh, that movie? With that, show me the money. Oh, there's all kinds of movies. If you really love me, then show it, demonstrate it. So show it, don't just talk about it. Mm. Favorite vacation spot? Right here where I live. I live in a vacation spot, so. You, you do, goes to Southern California. Yeah. Um, intention is? Where you start, without a game plan, you will go nowhere. So you have to know, okay, here, here's where I am. We talked about this earlier. This is where I wanna go. So intention is to start it, but you have to have a game plan. It's that, it's that laminated card that the football coach has up in front, over his lips. That's the game plan. There I'm not going to carry a card around everywhere I go, but, but I have to have a game plan. Absolutely. Favorite professional experience? I would, there's something I'm working on right now, Bailey, called Lead Develop Care Seminars. And that's my favorite thing uh, at the moment is to lead these Lead Develop Care Seminars around the country. Awesome. Uh, it all comes down to never giving up. My favorite one on this is William Wilberforce, who finally got the law passed in England to stop slavery. Uh, what most people don't know is he was out on the street 26 years before they finally passed the law. 
So for 26 years, he never gave up on his goal to abandon, abolish slave trade in England. Never mm. give up. A Churchill speech when he stood up before the boys. Never, 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 never give up. Yes, 26 years. That's I didn't really, I, I never realized that, but that that's powerful. Yeah. How that's a lot of years to sit and stay focused on one thing and uh, continue exactly. to go after. Yeah. Exactly. So yeah. we're done with the fire round, but the last two pieces or last two questions is there is first is there a certain piece of best advice you've ever received? It wasn't advice per se, but it was more insight. When I asked a, uh, a gentleman that was mentoring me, I asked him, what, do you, what would you say my greatest strength is and my greatest weakness? He said, your greatest strength is your greatest weakness. I never really, I, at that time I thought, what? That's like double talk. But later on, I realized if, if I have a strength and I just focus exclusively on that and push it, unhealthily to its end, I will neglect other things. So what he was telling me is my greatest strength is I'm goal focused, I'm bottom line, I'm, I'm after it, I've got a game plan. But the downside of it is if I'm not careful, I will run roughshod over people in getting there. Mm -hmm. So my greatest strength is my greatest weakness. I like that a lot, that's, that's fantastic. The final question is this podcast is called Building Excellence. What does building excellence mean to you? I mean, doing what I do, uh, delivering what I promise to deliver in a timely fashion with excellence, with joy, with absolutely the best that, that I can do it. So I, 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 excellence, I mean, I love the word building excellence. I think that's pretty much what I'm all about. I want to do the best I possibly can do. I want to do it with joy and I want to deliver it on time. Yes, I love that. Dave, uh, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and sharing your insight uh, on life and leadership. Um, if people want to find out more, you mentioned it before, you have a website, davecraft.org. You said you, you have over 2,000 pieces of content there that people can learn from um, and take a ton of knowledge from you. You wrote a couple of books. You know, we talked on a couple, but one was Leaders Who Last, uh, you know, Mistakes Leaders Make, and then Leadership, Lessons in Leadership from Nehemiah. So check out those books. They're fantastic. You, you know, you've been on different podcasts as well. So is there anything mm -hmm. else, any other ways that people can get involved nope. or contact you? Yeah, they can find everything on the website. If they want to contact me, my email is there. I coach. So if anyone that's listening to the podcast wants to just contact me about what would coaching look like, they can find me through that, through the website. Sure. And, and seminars as well. So Dave, thank you yeah. so much for coming on the podcast. Well, thank you, Bailey. Great questions. I really enjoyed the time. Thank you yep. for having me. Hey everyone, it's Bailey Miles. Thanks again so much for tuning in. We hope you found value in the show. And if you enjoyed it, we would really appreciate you sharing the show with a friend, subscribing on Apple or Spotify podcast, writing a quick review, or leaving a five-star rating. When you do that, it really helps get the message out and allows more people to hear these stories and help them build excellence in their life, leadership, and legacy. Now, if you have any questions, thoughts, or ideas, I'd love to hear from you. You can reach out to me via email. It's bailey at baileymiles.com. Follow us on social. We're on all the different social platforms, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Or check out our website at baileymiles.com. Uh, once again, I'd love to hear from you, so definitely do that. And then thanks again for joining me on this journey. And remember, life begins at the end of your comfort zone.